0: So good morning church, good morning. Good morning. or should I say top of the morning, right? Yeah, maybe, maybe, okay. Um, so we are in the middle of a series um, talking about a few things that we value as First Baptist Church, and we were talking about our mission statement. Um, the first week, Chris talked about communicating God's word and how we communicate God's word and everything that we do and how we want to have every decision that we make um, run through Scripture first. So that's our foundation. And then uh, the second week, I talked about being committed to Jesus, and how it starts with our desires of becoming more like Christ, not just our actions, but God needs to change us from the inside out. And then last week, uh, Brian McIntyre talked about being fully devoted, which is the first part of our mission statement, which is to produce fully devoted followers of Jesus who love God and people. I would encourage you to uh, memorize that if you'd like to. It's a good mission statement. It's on the stone out there. Yeah, it's on the stone out there. So I'm talking about something today that kind of goes right in line with our mission statement. So it's to produce fully devoted followers of Jesus who love God and people. Um, So fully devoted is the first part that Brian talked about. And then today is discipling community. Discipling community. So if you have one of those... uh, a little blank filler things. A lady from First Service at the discussion last week on Sunday night, she, she wanted to know what the answer was. And we said, You just got to come back next week to find out, okay? So we won't crack. We're not going to budge. We're not going to let you know what the rest are, but you can feel free to decipher those for yourself. We could come out with like a decoder ring, Chris. That would be sweet. So, discipling community. Holy devoted, discipling community. That's what we are at First Baptist here. That's what we strive to be. Um, so a couple weeks ago, when I talked about being committed to Jesus, that was the whole idea of being sanctified. And we talked about what sanctification isn't. Sanctification doesn't save you. It's only the blood of Christ that saves you. But then sanctification is living our lives and becoming more like Jesus, Right? So this week, um, if we were looking at sanctification a couple weeks ago individually, following Jesus, then this week is more like a FBC. We are all trying to become more like Jesus as a whole. Okay? So you can kind of look at it like that. So fully devoted, discipling community. But what does that mean for First Baptist to be a discipling community? Um, there are many different things that a church could devote themselves to, and we think a discipling community is what we need to be. So the church community is a mutual investment in one another. We are all investing in the lives of everybody in here to a certain extent. Discipling community, it's not discipling meeting. We're not a fully devoted discipling meeting. We don't just put an emphasis on, on being at church in the building. We make a, an emphasis to be at church because this is a great time to get together and worship God together and hear from God's word and study and learn together. But this isn't, this isn't everything. As a discipling community, we are in each other's lives and helping each other follow Christ. So discipling community, it doesn't just happen in two hours every Sunday. It is a lifestyle. It is living in community. Living in a discipling community helps us see our blind spots. So if my wife tells me something that I'm doing wrong, then I need to kind of look at that, right? because she knows me really well. If somebody else here um, at First Baptist that you know really well, and they know you really well, kind of points something out to you that you're like, oh, yeah, why do I do that? I need to change that. To become more like Jesus, I need to change that. So different people help us see our blind spots, things that maybe we've done for years that we never thought come between us and God, but somebody will just share something with us, and a light bulb goes off. Wow, yeah, that's something I need to change. So being a discipling community, we are in each other's lives and we're helping each other become more like Christ, seeing each other's blind spots. So that kind of takes care of the community part. It's not just a meeting where people living um, in close proximity to one another. But then what is a disciple? What is discipling? Um, The Greek word, which I'm not going to share with you, um, it literally means a learner, a disciple, or a pupil. So it's somebody that is learning from something. Right? And for us, as followers of Jesus, we're learning from God. We're learning to see how Jesus made disciples, and we're trying to do what he did. So, um, ultimately, we are disciples, we are learners, we are pupils of God. And then another way we can look at it is uh, the word apprentice. Maybe that makes more sense to some of you. The idea that you want to learn how to do something well, so you're going to learn from somebody else that already knows how to do it well. Um, so that's what an apprentice is. Um, so we can kind of look at disciple-making in that same way. And looking at the Old Testament for, for disciple-making, disciple- Discipling, um, Isaiah 8.16 and Isaiah 50 verse 4. Um, if you want to look up those later, that's awesome. Isaiah 8.16 and Isaiah 50 verse 4. Um, it kind of talks about how Isaiah was a disciple of somebody else, and they had followers. So we see in the Old Testament discipling is something they were supposed to do. It's not just something we see Jesus say to do. It's first talked about in the Old Testament um, in different avenues, but the main way that we see discipling being commanded is in the home. It's in the home. Making disciples of the people that live in our homes first, which is interesting. So if you have your Bibles, open up to Deuteronomy chapter 6. Like I said a couple weeks ago, I'm going to be turning right there with you So if I can't find it, you're going to know it. Deuteronomy chapter 6. We're going to be starting with verse 1. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 1. We're going to be reading through verse 12. So if I go past it, let me know. Deuteronomy 6, verses 1 through 12. <clears throat> this is Moses talking to the Israelites, and he shares some really good words for them before they're about to um, go to the promised land at a later point. So starting in verse 1, it says, These are the commands, decrees, and regulations that the Lord your God commanded me to teach you. So he's saying, God commanded me to teach you this, so I have to teach you this. So again, we already see he's about to tell them to make disciples, and he's in the process of making disciples like he's about to command them to. You must obey them in the land you are about to enter and occupy. Verse 2, And you and your children and grandchildren must fear the Lord your God as long as you live. If you obey all his decrees and commands, you will enjoy a long life. Listen closely, Israel, and be careful to obey. Then all will go well with you, and you will have many children in the land flowing with milk and honey, just as the Lord, the God of your ancestors, promised you. Listen, O oh Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord alone. And you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your strength. So that's, that's what we call the Shema, which is what the Jewish people would have been saying um, throughout their day, especially in the morning and at night, just kind of getting themselves focused on the fact that they serve the one true God, Yahweh, and that's the most important thing in their lives. And you must commit yourselves, verse 6, Wholeheartedly to these commands that I am giving you today. Repeat them again and again to your children. Talk about them when you are at home and when you are on the road, when you were going to bed and when you were getting up. Tie them to your hands and wear them on your forehead as reminders. Write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. The Lord your God will soon bring you into the land he swore to give you when you made a vow to your ancestors Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. It is a land with large, prosperous cities that you did not build. The houses will be richly stocked with goods you did not produce. You will draw water from cisterns you did not dig, and you will eat from vineyards and olive trees you did not plant. When you have eaten your fill in this land, this is really important, verse 12, be careful not to forget the Lord who rescued you from slavery in the land of Egypt. So we have this reminder, we have the the whole idea set up that we need to be making disciples of our kids, As we're raising them, as we put them to bed at night, as they get up in the morning, as we take them to school, take them to practice, um, all throughout our day we need to be making sure that we're sharing God's word and sharing God's commands and God's love with our kids. So that's huge. But then verse 12, it talks about being careful not to forget the Lord who rescued you from slavery in the land of Egypt. If we don't intentionally make disciples of our kids, basically they're going to forget about God. They're not going to be making disciples who make disciples. It's going to end with our generation, which I don't think is what we want to have happen, especially if we're saying we're a discipling community. What does that look like? So in the Old Testament, we see um, disciples being made by prophets and other people, other teachers. But Then we also see the main command being to be, to be making disciples in our own homes, which is easier said than done at times. Um, something fun, though, that just happened this past Monday is... Uh, <laughs> Um, Ashley turned a certain number of years on Tuesday, on St. Patrick's Day. I'm not going to share with you what that is. Um, so her friend was in town from Chicago, and I was like, you know what? You guys just go get dinner, have fun. And uh, they left. So I was at home watching the boys, which I love doing. Some people say, are you babysitting tonight? And I'm like, no, they're my kids. So I'm just being a dad. So that's kind of a pet peeve of mine but you don't have to have it. That's fine. So I watched my kids. I was watching my kids on Monday, and uh, I was walking towards our playroom, because Isaac and Asher, Isaac is uh, about three and a half years old. No, a little over three years old. Three and a half, three and a half years old. I'm a great dad. And then Asher is a year and a half, okay? I won't tell you how many months, because I'm not good with math. So I'm walking towards the playroom, and I hear Asher start crying, and I was like, oh no, that means Isaac probably hurt him. So I get into the playroom, and I say, Isaac, what happened? Is, why is Asher crying? And he's like, I don't know. And it's like, okay, really? You don't know why he's crying? You've been in here with him. So then I ask Asher, why are you crying? And he grabs his face and like, points to Isaac, and he's crying, and it's like, okay, well that's easy. So, then I said, Isaac, Asher said that you hurt him. Did you hurt him? And he admitted to it. So, I disciplined him, and then he walked out of the room, and I was making sure Asher was okay still. It wasn't anything serious. So then I started walking out to the living room where Isaac is, and he's like, Daddy, are you frustrated? (laughs) I said, well, no, not really. But as your dad, it's my job to discipline you to show you right from wrong. And it it wasn't even a second after I got those words out of my mouth that he goes, Oh! It was like much higher than that, but it was— It was really good. And I was like, well, okay, what light bulb just went off in his mind, okay? So then he says, Daddy, you could be my teacher. You could teach me right from wrong. And I was like, yes. I was like, actually, as your dad... God gave me to you and you to me, so I am your teacher. I'm supposed to show you right from wrong and how to follow Jesus. So it was just this incredible light bulb moment for him. I'm sure he's going to need a lot more light bulb reminders than that growing up. Um, But it was just a really neat way um, that God kind of provided us the opportunity uh, to share uh, out of Deuteronomy 6 with him and kind of help him follow Jesus. so during Jesus' day so that's kind of the Old Testament stuff but during Jesus' day Jesus wasn't the first person to make disciples Um, there were different teachers during that day that would have people follow them so what Jesus did wasn't really anything really new other than he didn't really call the people that were the smartest the best and brightest of that day he just chose people that God showed him to pick so tax collector fishermen different people like that so Jesus just picked the people that God asked him to So people like Paul, he was also um, discipled by someone and had disciples. So a disciple, being a discipling community, a disciple of Jesus is someone who accepts Jesus as their Savior, follows Jesus to become like him in their attitudes, thoughts, and actions, and lives their life to help other people accept Jesus and follow him, lather, rinse, and repeat, right? So making disciples who make disciples. You find Jesus— You learn how to follow Jesus from someone, you help somebody else follow or find Jesus, and then you help them follow Jesus, and you tell them to go help somebody find Jesus and follow Jesus. So it's this whole idea of multiplication. We don't just um, pour into the next generation and say, you're good. we We pour into the next generation and say, make disciples. Just like I'm making disciples and I continue to make disciples, you need to make disciples who make disciples, which is incredible to see happen. If you don't get excited about making disciples who make disciples like Jesus did, then what about your walk with Jesus gets you excited? I would encourage you to look at that. What about your walk with Jesus gets you excited? Because there's a word that I hear sometimes, and I think it's like a four-letter word, but I was never good at math. It's the word bored. So I realize it's five letters, but since I'm not good at math, to me it's a four-letter word, okay? Um, Not like love, that's a good four-letter word, but like the word that people are like, you can't say that in church. Those kinds of words okay? The, the words that get soap shoved in your mouth when you say. So to me, the word bored is like that. It's like, if you're bored, do something about it. If you're bored, if you're telling me you're bored, do something, right? It's, it's as simple as that, oftentimes. So following Jesus is not s- supposed to be something that is boring. Sometimes it's hard. Oftentimes it can be really difficult with spending time with people, helping them follow Jesus, because people don't always want to follow Jesus. It's dirty sometimes. You're going to get hurt. People are going to hurt you. But it's what we're called to do. So I've got a few statements that, uh, after I say them, I'm going to point to you, and you say, you're probably not making disciples. Okay? So instead of probably, it's probably, it's faster. So when I point to you, say, you're probably not making disciples. Okay? Okay? You got it? I'm going to practice. Ready? Great. All right, here it is. So, the first one, and this kind of goes with the the skit. If you might stop going to church because the sermon you hear on Sunday mornings doesn't wow you anymore, if you can't remember the last time you prayed with someone, if you think the FBC community exists to meet your needs, and you aren't figuring out how to help up this community, help build up this community with your spiritual gifts and skills, if you feel that you and Jesus are at a standstill, and you're just waiting for Jesus to make the next move, if your kids cussed you out on the way to church today, well, you might still be making disciples, okay? (laughs) It's going to have its ups and downs. But the last one... um, if following Jesus is boring. Hard, fun at times, those can describe our walk with Jesus, but we shouldn't feel bored in our walk with Jesus. There's plenty to do. Um, So those are kind of fun. Um, But Matthew 28, Matthew chapter 28, turn there if you will, it's the first book in the New Testament, Matthew chapter 28. So now that we've kind of looked at what the Old Testament says about making disciples briefly. We're going to look at what Jesus says in the New Testament. So Matthew 28. We're going to be reading verses 18 through 20. Matthew 28, 18 through 20. So this is what Jesus is saying to his disciples before he's about to leave them. It says, Jesus came and told his disciples, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you, and be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. The whole idea of making disciples who make disciples. This isn't a command that um, Jesus just gave his immediate disciples. It's a command that we all have. If we would call ourselves a Christian, if we call ourselves a follower of Jesus, we are called and we are commanded to make disciples who make disciples. Um, So in your Bible, it probably says the Great Commission up above that somewhere. But something I read this week that I thought was really neat, um, it, it described it or worded it as the King's Assignment. I think that's a neat way to look at it, the king's assignment. So the assignment Jesus, our king, has given us, right after he left the first time, before he comes back the second time, he's like, this is your assignment. Go and make disciples. And the idea of going and making disciples of all nations, it means the nation here, so in the United States, here in Pekin, but it also means in other countries, which is really neat. But we can't lose sight of... Making disciples in our own home first and spreading it out from there. And then, if God calls you somewhere else, then go. If God calls you to stay here, then stay here. Going and making disciples where God calls us to. So, the king's assignment. But the the neat thing is, Jesus says, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. So, it's only because of the authority that Jesus has that we can go out and make disciples. It's not something we do with our own power, it's something the Holy Spirit does which is incredible. We're going to talk about that more in a little bit. Uh, then Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12. Turn there if you will. This is going to be our primary passage. Um, and if you noticed, I talked about Romans 12, 1 through uh, 2, when, when I talked about being committed to Jesus. And then Brian also talked about it last week, which is pretty sweet. There are a lot of different things um, that we can learn from Scripture, different, different ways to apply it to our lives. And different things to hit on at different times. So being a discipling community, I think Romans 12, uh, the whole chapter, has a lot to tell us about that. I'm going to start with uh, verse 1. That way we can kind of rehash what we already talked about um, over the last couple weeks. So Romans chapter 12, starting with verse 1. It says, And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. And again, this is Paul saying this to the Romans. Paul is telling people, um, in in chapters 1 through 11, it kind of focuses on on God's mercy and his grace and his love and different things like that. And it's because of God's mercy and love that we're supposed to give our lives as a living sacrifice. So uh, verse 2, it says, Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, But let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. And we talked about how God's will for our lives, God's will is good, pleasing, and perfect. What that looks like for me, I'm not always going to see God's will as good, pleasing, and perfect for my own life. But it is for God's will and purposes. Because of the privilege and authority God has given me, verse 3, I give each of you this warning. Don't think you are better than you really are. Be honest in your evaluation of yourselves, measuring yourselves by the faith God has given us. Just as our bodies have many parts, and each part has a specific function, so it is with Christ's body. We are many parts of one body, and we all belong to each other. That's pretty sweet. We all belong to one another. This is a community. Verse 6. In his grace, God has given us different gifts for doing certain things well. So if God has given you the ability to prophesy, speak out with as much faith as God has given you. If your gift is serving others, serve them well. If you are a teacher, teach well. If your gift is to encourage others, be encouraging. If it is giving, give generously. If God has given you leadership ability, take the responsibility seriously. And if you have a gift for showing kindness to others, do it gladly. Don't just pretend to love others. Really love them. "'Hate what is wrong. "'Hold tightly to what is good. "'Love each other with genuine affection.'" So he's really harping on. Your love has to be genuine. It has to be something real. It can't just be something where somebody sees it on the outside, they're like, ah, eh, it looks like love. But it has to be something that deep down you do care for one another. And take delight in honoring each other. Verse 11, "'Never be lazy, but work hard and serve the Lord enthusiastically "'or passionately. "'Rejoice in our confident hope. "'Be patient in trouble and keep on praying.'" When God's people are in need, be ready to help them. Always be eager to practice hospitality, which is inviting others into your home. And when you invite others into your home, they're going to see maybe some things you try to hide from other people. So inviting people into your home so you can show them that you are trying to follow Jesus. Verse 14, bless those who persecute you. Don't curse them. Pray that God will bless them. That's hard. Be happy with those who are happy and weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with each other. Don't be too proud to enjoy the company of ordinary people. So don't treat people differently um, based on how you maybe view them. And don't think you know it all. Never pay back evil with more evil. Do things in such a way that everyone can see you're honorable. Do all that you can to live in peace with everyone. Or some translations say, live at peace with everyone as long as it depends on yourself. So as much as you're able to keep peace with people, keep that peace. Dear friends, never take revenge. Verse 19. Leave that to the righteous anger of God. For the scriptures say, I will take revenge. I will pay them back, says the Lord. Instead, if your enemies are hungry, feed them. This is your enemies. Feed them. If they are thirsty, give them something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals of shame on their heads. Don't let evil conquer you, but conquer evil by doing good. There are some good things we can learn from this. the last part about coals, burning coals on their heads and, and shame, it's kind of weird. It's not really something we practice today, but we think um, Paul's talking about this because it was a practice, practice in ancient Egypt where if you did something that you really regretted, you really wanted uh, to repent for, you would take burning coals, you put them in, in a pan, and you'd hold it on your head, and you'd walk through the city, and people would be like, okay, that person regrets what they did. Okay? So when we treat people... That hate us, people that dislike us, when we treat them with love, somebody that maybe somebody hates us and they talk badly about us at work, but they forgot their lunch that day, giving them your lunch. Crazy, right? That's just one little example. But the whole point is, um, by, by the, the, the coals being on their head, it's going to be obvious to people, right? If somebody's walking around here with coals on their head, we'd be like, what? Right? It'd be super obvious and weird and a fire hazard, so don't do it. But if we saw that, it would make a difference. We'd be like, okay, something's different about that person. And with the way that we treat not just our friends, because we're supposed to love our friends, but we're also supposed to love our enemies. It's the way that we love our enemies that's going to make that big difference in how people view people that follow Jesus, people that love Jesus. It's a love that doesn't care how much you dislike me. I'm going to show you love, even when it's hard. And if I choose not to show you love, that's unfortunate. Hopefully I'll be able to ask you for forgiveness at a later time, which also is huge to be able to say you were wrong about something. So, another thing that's really interesting is um, Paul lists off different spiritual gifts in different places, and they're not usually the exact same which I think kind of shows us that uh, you don't have to find your one spiritual gift and say, this is my one spiritual gift, so um, I like teaching, so I'm not going to be generous and give. You can't say, well, I'm going to prophesy, I'm going to tell people, if you keep doing it this way, this is what's going to happen. I'm going to do that, but I'm not going to show people love because that person over there is way better at loving than I am. The whole point is that different people within the FBC community are gifted in different ways. We've got different spiritual gifts from God. We've got different skills. And Paul's telling us that we have these different skills and abilities because God wants us to use them, not just for ourselves but for the betterment of everybody, to build up the body of Christ, which is huge. And then in uh, 1 Corinthians 12, he also lists off some more um, body parts. And he talks about how one body part is no better than the other. No body part is better than the other. So if we see somebody and their spiritual gift is different than ours, we can't say, oh, mine's way better than his. Okay, right? We're just supposed to use our gifts and not look down on one another, which he says previously in Romans 12. Um, so no matter what body part you are, like you are a valuable asset to the body of Christ. And I believe that if, if our church is lacking in areas, maybe God's calling you to say, hey, this is your spiritual gift, I need you to step up. Because we need you, we all need each other in a community. Uh, John four thirty five, and Jesus tells us that the harvest is ripe. And if you look at Facebook, or you watch the news, or you see people out and about, you talk to your friends and neighbors, you realize there are people that need Jesus. Jesus tells us that the the harvest is ripe. There are people that are maybe just waiting for you to talk to them one time about Jesus and they're going to accept Christ. Or maybe there's somebody you work with that you've talked to about Christ for 13 years and you feel like nothing has changed. That's not up to you. That's that's up to God. The results are up to God. But if you continue to share Jesus with that person, you continue to show that person the love of Jesus, which is self-sacrificing, that's going to make a difference and you've done what God is calling you to do. So making disciples is a huge command from Jesus. It's a huge topic. Um, If after this message, you're just not sure where to go as far as uh, making disciples and make disciples, I would encourage you, uh, check out Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John to see how Jesus did it. Then also crack open the book of Acts and see how the early church did things um, after Jesus left them and he gave them the Holy Spirit and empowered them to make disciples. I just encourage you to open those. And if you're not sure about uh, maybe what your spiritual gift is, maybe you say, man, I really want to be a part of this community, but I just don't know, I don't know where I fit in. I would just encourage you to try something out. Talk to somebody, one of your friends, and say, is there a ministry at the church I could get started? Or is there a ministry at the church that I could help out with? I, I just don't know where I fit. You know, So asking around, trying something out. Um, so just like sanctification, the... the the idea of becoming more like Jesus, uh, being a discipling community is all about working with the Holy Spirit to make disciples. So it's, it's not us that are actively making disciples. It's the Holy Spirit working inside us and working inside the person being discipled to change us from the inside out, which is incredible. So with talking about being a discipling community, I think the other question comes up, which is, what about evangelism? Right? Maybe some of you were thinking that. Why is this kid not talking about evangelism? Right? Maybe some of you are like, disciple-making. I'm not going to make you vote. But, Gaila, could you throw off that thing on the screen, pretty please? Um, before we get to that, um, I think sometimes when we hear the word evangelism, we think of, okay, somebody is at church, and they're going to proclaim the name of Jesus, and somebody's going to get saved. So my my goal in my life is to just bring as many friends to church as possible so that the person up front can share Jesus with them. I don't, I don't want to be Jesus to that person and tell them about Jesus. I just want to bring friends to church. And that's fine, too. God can use anything. God can use you at work to get people saved. God can use you bringing people to church to get saved. So it's amazing to be able to work with the Holy Spirit in that. But I think sometimes when we hear the word evangelism, we don't think of it the next step. We just think of, okay, somebody got saved. That's incredible. But is somebody, somebody going to disciple them? Is somebody going to help that person that just found Jesus know how to follow Jesus? Because we're not born with this just in, innate sense of, okay, I need to go make disciples. I know immediately how to follow Jesus. We see all through scripture how we need to share with people how to follow Jesus. They need to learn from us. We need to show them as we are learning from someone else and ultimately from Jesus. So, um, I would also say that you haven't made a disciple like Jesus did until the person you discipled has made a disciple. And this is a game changer for us. Um, The person that you are discipling, you haven't made a disciple like Jesus which is a disciple who makes a disciple until that disciple has made another disciple. Does that make sense? So Jesus did it in a way that was going to multiply. So if we make a disciple, and that disciple doesn't make a disciple, we haven't necessarily made a disciple like Jesus. But the other reassuring thing is that when we see Judas, Jesus chose 12 people to pour into over the course of three years. Peter, James, and John were the, even the, the smaller circle that he poured more time into. But we see how one of the 12 of Jesus' own followers didn't keep following him. He turned away, which is what makes um, disciple-making so hard sometimes. Because it seems like it's, man, I'm going to pour all this time and energy into this person. What if they don't follow Jesus? What if they don't keep following Jesus? What if they don't find somebody else to help follow Jesus too? But that's, that's not up to us. Um, it's the Holy Spirit that causes people to grow, and we don't even know how that happens. So I've had that thing up on the screen for a little bit. I'm going to read something to you because there's so many numbers, and like I said, I'm not good with math, but I kind of check these numbers, but I'm not, I don't want to get confused. So the graph of evangelism versus disciple-making, and again, it's not like uh, this one's better than the other sort of a thing, but I just want you to take a look. So years, this is how many years something's going to happen. For evangelism and disciple-making, those are the numbers of people that are involved with it. So in evangelism, those are people that would say, yeah, I found Jesus, I love Jesus. And the disciple-making would be people who are being poured into and told, now that you've found Jesus, you need to help other people find Jesus and follow Jesus. So I realize this is idealistic, but I think it's helpful um, in looking at why Jesus chose the method of making disciples who make disciples to change the world. So a disciple-making ministry is built on exponential growth, the principle of multiplication. Consider a comparison of disciple-making to mass evangelism. Suppose you are a really great evangelist and you lead 1,000 people to faith in Christ every day. At the end of the first year, there would be 365,000 new believers. That's the principle of addition, 1,000 added every day. Suppose another person in one year led one person to Christ and spent that year, the whole year, building his faith, teaching God's truth, and training that individual to grow to maturity and to spiritually reproduce themselves and someone else. At the end of the first year, there would be two disciple-makers, a whopping two. If you continue to lead 1,000 people every day to faith in Christ, at the end of the second year, you'd have led 730,000 people to follow Jesus. The disciple-makers at the end of the second year will have invested themselves in two more individuals so that at the end of the year, they were able to spiritually reproduce themselves. So after two years, there would be four disciple-makers. So you can already see how in year two, it's like, really? Really? Is that the most efficient way to make disciples? Is that the most efficient way to help people follow Jesus? In this pro- if this process were to continue, and you kept leading 1,000 people to Christ every day, adding 365,000 believers every year, at the end of 10 years, you would have reached 3.6 million people, and at the end of 25 years, that number would be 9.1 million. A lot of people. The disciple makers keep on investing in one new person every year who does the same thing. He invests in one new person every year. The numbers simply multiply and at the end of 10 years, there are 1,024 disciple makers and at the end of 25 years, there would be 33.5 million disciple makers, over three times more than the addition process. Which is interesting, but it gets even more interesting because we can still be tempted to say, wow, that's still a lot of people, but... Man, is there something missing? So if we keep reading, it's easy to see that the process of multiplication is slower than the process of addition. It takes 19 years for the number of disciple-makers to exceed the number of the first year alone. However, when the disciple-making process reaches year 26, they would reach 67.1 million, a number you couldn't reach by addition for another 158 years. So this idea of disciple making, leading people to Christ, which is obviously what evangelism needs to do, lead people to Christ, but not just leave them as um, spiritual newborns. It's people that know Jesus, but help them to follow Jesus. That's going to be what makes the difference. That's the disciple making community that Jesus started two thousand years ago. That's what we are called to do as His followers. So. When when we look at evangelism and, and disciple making, I don't think they're at odds at all. I think they work hand in hand, but there has to be leading people to Christ and helping them follow Jesus. They can't be one or the other. So, I hope that's helpful. Some people are numbers people, and I think numbers help people sometimes. So, there you go. Um, so we don't just want to add new believers; we want to multiply disciple makers. We want to make disciples who make disciples who make disciples who make disciples. Who make disciples. This community needs to be in each other's lives and asking the big questions. So if we say we're a discipling community um, and we say it's more than just seeing each other on Sundays, which is awesome, and I love it. I encourage you to be here every single Sunday because um, <clears throat> that's going to make a huge difference um, if we're able to be here and build one another up. That's awesome. I was talking to another pastor. This is a side note. I was talking to another pastor this week, and uh, His church did like a, not a survey, but a survey of sorts of how often their members were coming to church. And he said that in previous years, families would say, okay, we want to be at church every single Sunday. If we miss a Sunday, that stinks, but we're trying to be there every single Sunday. And he said, things have changed over the years to where now it's, if we make it to church once a month, then we're doing all right. That's really sad because if you're not here, I can't learn from you. If we're not here to build one another up and worship together, then we're not here for each other. But just Sunday mornings is not the only time we're supposed to be uh, meeting together. Discipling doesn't just happen on a Sunday morning. We're supposed to be in each other's lives, helping each other follow Jesus. And one of the first uh, small group type uh, people were the Wesleyans, and they had one question uh, that they asked one another. when they got together, and that was, How is it with your soul? How is it with your soul? I think that's very telling. Some of us are sitting here like, do I even have a soul? What are you talking about? That's a different sermon. But basically, how is it with your soul? How is it within you for everything, not just your emotions, but for for you today, sitting here in front of me, how are you doing? Nice. How are you doing? Is there something I can do to help you, to build you up? Um, Because we can all put that that good church face on sometimes and be like, everything's awesome, right? But then deep down, how are we really doing? But here's the thing. I'm not saying all of us need to know equally or equal amounts about each other. I'm saying that God does have different relational um, connections that we have within the body of Christ to where we should know some people very deeply and other people should know us very deeply to where we're able to challenge each other, to where we're able to sharpen each other as God calls us to. So how is it with your soul? Another great question. A guy by the name of Thomas Merton, he says, ask me not where I live or what I like to eat. Ask me what I am living for and what I think is keeping me from living fully for that. So it's something that goes just beyond the surface level, just beyond the, this is nice weather, right? Which is fine to talk about the weather. It's good stuff. But if that's all we're doing in this community, discipling community, then we're probably not doing it right. We have to make sure that there are people that are constantly challenging us and we're challenging them. Um, After I read that quote for the first time, I immediately texted my brother and one of my best friends saying, thank you guys so much for helping me follow Jesus. And if you're sitting here today and you're like, man, I don't have anybody helping me follow Jesus, talk to somebody. Just be vulnerable and say, you know what? I don't know how to follow Jesus You look like you do. Let's follow Jesus together. Help me know how to follow Jesus. We need to have relationships that are much deeper than just talking about surface level things. We can't just be Facebook friendly with everyone. We have to be deeper. So how do we continue to be more like the discipling community? God has called us to be a First Baptist church. That's a real question. The first thing I would say is uh, we need to actively pray for God to show us someone to disciple. If Jesus did it, I think we should too. So just taking time sometime this week or maybe even during the prayer or maybe um, God was even showing you somebody as we've been talking about making disciples. Just praying for God to show you someone that you need to pour into. Somebody that wants to go deeper. Somebody that wants to follow Jesus and maybe they're just waiting for you to say, you want to follow Jesus with me? So, praying for God to show you someone to help make a disciple of Jesus. And ultimately, this is about our God, the master farmer. He grows a person, we don't. God uses us to plant seeds, water, and reap, but he causes someone, or someone to grow, and we don't know how. It's a really good passage in the book of Mark about uh, the farmer sowing and reaping and planting seeds, and it's, I really like the part where he says, the farmer, he wakes up in the morning, then he goes to bed, Things grow, and he doesn't know how. That's very honest. That is very real. We don't know how people just ultimately start following Jesus and demanding more of him and wanting to be more like him, but that's not for us to do. It's our job to tell people about Jesus, to show people how to follow Jesus, to pray for them, and hopefully God's going to choose to grow that person. But at the same time, we see, even with Judas, how he turned away from God. So discipling can be dirty at times. It can be really disheartening if you have somebody you pour your life into. You want them to follow Jesus. You see a great future for them and then they turn their back on Jesus. That can be very disheartening. So um, maybe some of us here today have chosen, man, I tried making disciples but it didn't work. The people that I tried discipling turned away from Jesus and that is very disheartening. So I would encourage you, if that happened to you, man, I would encourage you to find somebody else, actively pray, and ask God to show you somebody else to pour into. And hopefully, this time, God chooses to grow them. The second thing is study God's word to know more about making disciples. Like I said, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, or Acts, <clears throat> just to see what Jesus did, what the early church did to make disciples who make disciples. And then love. Love God with everything within you and love people as yourself. So everybody within this community, discipling community, loving one another, and even to the point that when we're at work, when we're walking around, peeking wherever we are, we're showing people the love of Jesus. Even if they're showing us hate, even if they're showing us anger, even if they're being um, angry with us, we're still showing them the love of Jesus. And then live. Live your life as an act of worship, fully devoted to being part of the discipling community of Christians, that Jesus started over 2,000 years ago. So making disciples is something we need to do together. Not because it's always fun, not so we can keep First Baptist Church doors open, but because if we love God, we will follow his commands and make disciples as we go about our lives. That's what we're called to do. Um, Tonight is 6.30. We've got a little discussion group. It's super informal. Just show up. If you have a question about making disciples, about anything we talk today, or any random question in the world, uh, we have a good time just <laughs> sitting down and opening God's word and talking um, about what God has for us, how to be more like Jesus. But what is your next step? What is your next step after, after hearing about being a discipling community? What is your next step? And I'll preface it with this. If you think your next step is to confront somebody about something, like during this whole message, you're like, oh, that person they're not doing it right. They're not doing it right. I'm doing it right. If, if your attitude or your thought was, that person needs to hear this message, and it's not, man, I'm so broken. I need to be like Jesus. No matter how many disciples we've made, we can make more disciples, and God calls us to do that. So I would just say, if you've been thinking about somebody else that needs to hear this message versus yourself, you might not be hearing from the Holy Spirit. You might be, but you might not. We just need to make sure that we're looking at ourselves first and then other people so what is your next step is it giving your life to jesus maybe you're here and you've never heard about jesus and you've heard a little bit about him and you want to know more come up and talk to me after the service i would love to talk to you about jesus how um, i responded to his love and i try to follow him and i mess up is it to ask your kids for forgiveness for not discipling them like god wants you to Is it for God to give you the desire to make disciples because right now it just seems too hard? At times it is very hard. Whatever it is, during our final prayer, ask God to help you take that next step because it can't just be something we want to do. It's got to be something that God changes our desires within us to accomplish. So what do you want FBC's current and future legacy in the community to be? If you want to be known as a place made up of imperfect people, who show other imperfect people the love of Jesus and help them know how to follow Jesus, then I am so glad to be on this journey with you. Let's fulfill God's command together by being a discipling community. Let me pray. Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for your word. Thank you for guiding us with it. Father, I pray that... uh, even though disciple-making is hard, even though uh, it doesn't always seem rewarding. Father, I pray that you would help us to just be uh, people that want to follow you. Father, we see the love that you have for us. We see the love that Jesus showed us. I pray that we would live in a way that shows other people that love. Father, help us to make disciples who make disciples. Help us to be there for one another through the good things and the bad things. Father, I pray that relationships uh, in this room would go deeper that we wouldn't just be focusing on the external things, we would go uh, straight to the heart, which is where you want us to go. Father, continue to change us, mold us, and make us into your image. Help First Baptist to be the discipling community that you call us to be. ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, you can leave after you turn to the person next to you and say, make disciples.